welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Let's read Jeremiah chapter 28. In that same year, the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of Yahweh in the presence of the priest and all the people, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of Yahweh's house, which Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah the son of Jehoiakim king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah, who went to Babylon, declares Yahweh, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah the prophet in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of Yahweh. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May Yahweh do so. May Yahweh make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of Yahweh and all the exiles. Yet hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that Yahweh has truly sent the prophet. And then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says Yahweh, Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah, Go, tell Hananiah thus says Yahweh, You have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, Yahweh has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against Yahweh. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. This is the word of the Lord. So when we read here, it's the same year that's referring to the start of chapter 27, the context of the previous chapter. So we're still in 597 B.C., which is the year that Zedekiah begins to reign over Jerusalem because he's been set up by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has taken Jeconiah into exile already in Babylon, and he has set up this man, Madaniah, or Zedekiah. He gives him the new name. He has set him up as a puppet king that will serve him and do what he is told him to do. Uh, Zedekiah will ultimately rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, but that's, not, that's another story for another day. So this is 597 B.C. It is the fifth month of the fourth year. The fourth year doesn't really sound like the beginning of Zedekiah's reign. And that's because this fourth year is not a reference to the fourth year of his reign. It's the fourth year of what is considered to be the Jewish Sabbath year. 
So not only do they have a Sabbath every week, uh, the seventh day is a day of rest, as God did in the act of creation in Genesis 1, but they will later be also given a Sabbath year, that is, that in the seventh year they are to give the land rest. They even will have a Sabbath of Sabbath years, which is going to be the year of Jubilee, that 50th year. But this would this could be a reference to either one. I would take it as a reference to the just the Sabbath year, not to the Jubilee. The chapter is going to end up focusing on the, the battle of the prophets. Let's just phrase it that way. We've got Jeremiah as the prophet of Yahweh that we have been you know, studying his book here for the last 27 days. But now we have a false prophet, a man by the name of Hananiah, who is going to seek to oppose the words that Jeremiah speaks. We learn that he is from Gibeon, which is a city six miles to the northwest of Jerusalem. And the day comes where he is in the temple, so is Jeremiah. And Hananiah addresses this word in front of the priests, in front of all the people. He addresses this word to Jeremiah. So he's directly contradicting the word that Jeremiah has just spoken. And really, Jeremiah gave us the heads up of this in yesterday's chapter, in chapter 27, that there would be those falsely prophesying that the vessels will be shortly brought back from Babylon. And that's what Hananiah says, even then, even there, that Yahweh has declared he is breaking the yoke of the king of Babylon. He's going to break Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to bring back all the vessels of Yahweh's house that were taken away. He's also going to bring back Jeconiah, the king that Nebuchadnezzar took into exile. That would put an end to Zedekiah's reign because Jeconiah would be the rightful king. So he would depose Zedekiah, the puppet king that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And then all the exiles from Judah, which would include over 10,000 captives. Second Kings chapter 24 verses 10 and following is where you can read about that. So this is a a bold prophecy. And should it have been a true prophecy, this is something that the people would have rejoiced in. Unfortunately, it's not true, and yet the people rejoice in it anyway. That's going to be the trouble of the text. So Jeremiah instead speaks to Hananiah the prophet in the presence of the priests and all the people, and he rebukes him, as we'll see. But my question that you can consider as a family together, what do we do when people teach falsely? Matthew chapter 18 is a text that is oftentimes spoken of and used for a situation like that. The idea that if if your brother has sinned against you, go, it's privately, go and show him his fault. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. If not, bring along two or three witnesses uh, that in that case, they're not really bearing witness to what he's done. They're bearing witness to what he's doing. That is the refusal of repentance. So that as you come before the church, it's not just a you know he said, she said situation, but it's rather something that has been fully attested to by several of the brothers in the congregation. And so if he won't listen to the, the witnesses, uh, then bring it to the church. If he won't listen to the church, you're to excommunicate him. So that's the practice that the Lord has laid out for us, and it's a good one indeed. Many will apply this, though, to opportunities of false teaching, and there are, are ways that that would apply. So we can think about, like, as, as a husband, if I teach my wife 
We're just doing a Bible study together at home. If I teach my wife something about Jesus that's false, that's wrong, I have sinned against her. I've sinned against God for teaching falsely in his name, and I've sinned against her because I have done what the devil did in the garden. I've said something wrong about God's word. And in that moment, right then and there, she should call me out on it. And she should tell me that she believes I have taught falsely. Now, you can do that with gentleness and respect. You can do that with love. It doesn't have to, you know, be that she starts screaming at me or something like that. But I, you know, I, I don't believe that's what the Bible says. Or, can you show me in Scripture where you're coming from? I, I've never heard that before. Those sorts of questions would be a soft way to do it. Uh, an appropriate but sometimes respectable way to do it would be, I'm sorry, honey, but you're wrong. Let me show you from Scripture what the Lord does teach. That is, in essence, that's the way that the Matthew 18 text would be played out. And we will hear that then applied just as a blanket across all false teaching examples. That even if even if false teaching is done in a public setting, that you have to approach that person one-on-one first uh, and so forth. I'm going to tell you this calls for discernment. As a pastor, as I preach a sermon on Sunday morning, and I pray I don't preach false teaching, if I preach something in the pulpit on Sunday morning that is false, the best approach is likely not for the person in the, in the church that day who hears that false teaching. It's likely not for them to just stand up and shout out how wrong I am. That's just going to cause chaos, and it's not probably going to be received well. The better approach, I do believe, myself, would be that the person address me one-on-one, show me my fault, and that I would have the humility to acknowledge, you're right. And then I would come back before the entire congregation and ask for forgiveness for having taught them falsely. That would be a terrific way for such a thing to play out. Paul's going to talk in similar ways about good order in the church in 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through 14. But that's a situation where I'm, in, you know, I'm believing that you have a close relationship to the person, right? The, the person who was sitting in the pew that day, they know me. Take Facebook or other social media as a different example, and you have... A, a person out there just teaching, and they just blasted that out there, and thousands of people saw it, or hundreds of thousands of people saw it, depending on who their audience is, you're probably not going to have such an opportunity to approach that person one-on-one. Do you just let the false teaching stand? Do you say something? Here is an example of Jeremiah, the prophet, He's heard Hananiah teaching the people falsely, and he directly calls him out on it. He doesn't go to Hananiah in private. He addresses him in person so everyone can hear it. He points out the false teaching of Hananiah before everyone. Now, granted, no one believes him, which might happen if you do the same, right? So we see another illustration of this, Galatians, the open of that book. Paul calls out Peter's sin of false teaching and false way of living, he calls it out right there in front of the entire Galatian congregation. So I would 
as you wrestle with this question as a family together, what do we do when someone teaches something false? I would encourage you to have that, that idea of discernment in mind. Discern the situation. What would be helpful? Do I have the opportunity to one-on-one address this person in a way that is respectful but will also benefit everyone because everyone will hear later on? Or is this something where a false teaching is public and simply needs to be dealt with? It's a challenge. I'm not going to say that every situation will have a right or wrong necessarily, but do so with discerning, do so with gentleness, do so with respect, knowing that the truth of God's word is important and that we teach rightly. All right, so Jeremiah very sarcastically addresses Hananiah here. Amen. May Yahweh do so. And so forth. But, verse 7, hear now the word I have to speak. So it would be great if Yahweh did this. It would be great if he brought back the vessels. It would be great if Nebuchadnezzar no longer oppressed God's people. This would be great stuff. But, hear now this word that I speak. And in verse 8, he basically points out that Hananiah is an odd duck. Hananiah is an outlier in the world of prophets. Prophets typically speak God's judgment. And Hananiah here is simply declaring, instead of judgment, he's simply declaring God is going to do such beautiful things for the people. And that hasn't been the pattern. So he's inviting the congregation to acknowledge that and to see that. And then, in verse 9, he says, As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, it will be known Yahweh has truly sent the prophet. And this is from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22, where God basically lays this out. How do you know if a prophet is true or not? It's based on whether his word comes to be true. So, go ahead. Hear what Hananiah has to say. He just forecasted two years from now this will happen. So, two years from now, judge for yourselves if Hananiah was a true prophet or not. The biggest trouble with that ends up being that for two years they have believed something false. And that has been harmful to their faith. And when it comes to not be true, instead of blaming Hananiah, they will be tempted to blame God. And this is true of false teaching in the church today, that false teachers preach from their pulpits, people believe their word, and then when things go poorly, people blame God instead of blaming the false teacher. So, Hananiah, rather than taking the, the rebuke here, Hananiah takes those yoke bars. We saw Jeremiah put them on in the last chapter. So the, the thing that a plow animal would wear around its, its neck, around its shoulders, to is their, their harness, essentially, to, to pull the plow. Hananiah takes that off of Jeremiah and he breaks it. And he uses it to reiterate what he claims Yahweh has said, even though Yahweh has not said it. So Jeremiah now is going to be given the word of Yahweh and he speaks it to Hananiah. Thus says Yahweh, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made it in their place bars of iron. So the other family question today to consider, why did Hananiah's actions, why did Hananiah taking those yoke bars off of Jeremiah and breaking them, why did Hananiah's action make God's judgment worse? The answer to that comes down in verse 15, where Jeremiah says, Yahweh has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. So the false prophecy of Hananiah has only further deceived the people. It has only further hardened 
their heart. And so now their judgment is increased. And maybe increased isn't even the best way to say it. The difference between wood and iron, the difference of these yokes, isn't so much in their weight, although they would have a difference in weight. The difference is in their strength. It's in their permanence. The wooden yoke, Hananiah took it right off of Jeremiah and broke it. The idea that they could possibly break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. The iron yoke? Well, and that's not going to happen. You're not going to take that off of Jeremiah's shoulders and break it. You're not going to be able to throw off the yoke that Nebuchadnezzar places upon you, is the point of this increased judgment of God here in this text. Because, again, they have trusted in the lie rather than the word that Yahweh sent. Yahweh sent the true word. He sent a prophet, and they ignored him. Well, they even tried to kill him, as we've seen recently. They've put him in the stocks, they've beat him, and they have attempted to kill him. They've put him on trial. Things have not gone well for the people of God to listen to God. And then finally, the word to Hananiah is that because he has uttered such rebellion against Yahweh, he will die. God will remove him from the face of the earth, and so the text The chapter concludes that two months later, so we started in the fifth month of the year, in the seventh month of the same year, Hananiah dies. Should be an indication to the people that he's probably not a true prophet. But again, hardened hearts have reigned in Israel for a long time at this point.